0: Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 17 this morning? Acts chapter 17 is a fascinating chapter. The more that I study this chapter, the more I feel like it is a key to understanding ministry in our current culture. Acts chapter 17, right in the middle of the chapter, is where we'll pick up in verse number 16 in just a moment. And the scripture tells us that Paul had come to the city of Athens. He had come to that city because of the persecution that took place first in Thessalonica and then in Berea. He quickly had to leave town in Berea where the people received the word with great gladness and with obedience to the gospel. But persecution was stirred up and so Paul left town and He came quickly to the city of Athens, and he was waiting there for his companions, Silas and Timotheus, to join him before they would go on in the work of the ministry. Now, you're probably familiar with the city of Athens and its influence on world culture. The philosophers of Athens are still studied today, and their philosophy has come down to us in our culture in many different forms. There were a couple of main groups of philosophers that were prevalent in the city of Athens on the occasion of the Apostle Paul arriving there. They're mentioned in verse 18 as the Epicureans and the Stoics. And these were two unique philosophies about life and how to handle the different aspects of life. Athens was known at this time, though it was at the waning end of its, uh, its prevalence and its prominence in the world scene, Athens was still known as a city of superior intellect. It was a hub of philosophy and culture in the ancient world. And Athens at this time was still highly regarded as a city that was a place of learning, There was beautiful architecture and a superior culture. Many people thought that Athens was the ideal of the society that man could build. The Apostle Paul came to the city of Athens, and in verse number 16 of Acts 17, it says something very interesting, which I want you to consider this morning. Now, for the purpose of our message and as our text this morning, we'll read from verse 16 through verse 21. We'll be coming back to this chapter again next Sunday. But I especially want to call your attention to verse 16 because that'll be the theme of our message this morning. The scripture says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection." And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear Some new thing. Doesn't verse 21 sound like the internet today? That's what it sounds like to me. Again, look at verse 16. Now now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I'd like to speak to you for the next few moments about being stirred in the spirit. The Apostle Paul is a tremendous example for us in the way that he came to Athens. And though there was opulence and wealth and learning and culture and architecture and all of these things to see, these were not the things that captivated the attention of Paul, but rather what Paul saw. And what stirred his spirit was their worship. He saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry. And because of this, Paul perceived that there was a tremendous need for the truth to be preached in this great city. To be stirred in the spirit. Consider with me, first of all, what Paul saw. And understand with me that the things that we see, or if you will, the things that we look at, have an effect on our spirit. He looked and he saw, according to verse 16, a city that was completely given over to idolatry. There's an ancient Greek writer named Petronius who half-jokingly said in one of his writings, That in the first century, it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. The city was known for its many idols. It was customary for people to have idols or representations of gods that they worshipped in different places around their property and in their house. The public buildings were jam-packed with all sorts of idolatrous creatures And of course, we know that these were representative of the gods that the people worshipped. They had a pantheon of gods that they worshipped, gods that they believed were responsible for all sorts of things. And so it was important to know which gods to worship for which sort of an occasion and where to go in order to worship that god and all the things that those gods would be responsible for and what they would be like. If you've ever spent any time at all reading about the gods of the Greek world, then you know exactly what I'm referring to. They had gods for all sorts of things. But what's interesting about these gods is that they always had a shortcoming. They always had an area where they were superhuman, but then they had an Achilles heel to put it literally. They had something that was a weakness. Now we know that this sort of thing uh, comes down to us in our culture in the form of these superheroes that people are so enchanted with and love to think about and talk about. They really had their root all the way back in the Greek culture with these gods that were worshipped. But now as Paul looks around the city, and no doubt he was walking around Athens, taking in the beautiful architecture and the sights and listening to the culture and observing what was happening, but there was something that he saw which stirred his spirit, and it was that the city was completely given over to idolatry. Now consider with me the totality of this idolatry. It was... Total in that it involved the city. The entire city was given over to idolatry. In other words, the vast majority of the people in Athens were pursuing after the wrong worship. Have you ever been somewhere in a group of people or in an area where the majority of people were worshiping in a way that you knew was wrong? And you felt as if you weren't sure what you could say or how to even confront a system that is so encompassing that everyone is participating in it. And this is exactly the scene that is described here. When it says the city was wholly given over to idolatry, it means that they were wholehearted in their false worship. They were very sincere and passionate in their worship of these gods and their entire way of life was given over to this false worship and the philosophy that accompanied it to the degree that when the Apostle Paul started speaking the truth, what was said of him was he is a setter forth of strange gods. Now, that's a curious statement in a place that was known for its multiplicity of gods. And they would say, oh, he's worshiping some strange god. It would be easy for Paul to say, well, you're worshiping a lot of strange gods. I'm not the one who's the setter forth of strange gods. It seems as if you all are the setters forth of strange gods. But understand that when people are completely given over, to this kind of worship, they really cannot see anything else as a possibility. In fact, the Athenians at this time in history prided themselves on their carefully developed philosophies and they were absolutely certain that they were right. They would sit around in this place called Areopagus and they would debate the merits of And the shortcomings of their systems of philosophy, their way of looking at life, what we might call today a worldview. And they would argue back and forth with each other about who is right and who is wrong. But when they heard Paul, they thought this is too simplistic. This is not a, a well-developed philosophy. It, it, it seems too simple, the, what he's describing. And then he's talking about resurrection, about something beyond this life. And both the Epicureans and the Stoics rejected that out of hand and said, there's no way that that could be. And this was because their eyes were blinded. It totally absorbed every part of their life. They were completely given over To idolatry. Now, consider for a moment what idolatry is, and consider with me the tragedy of this situation. Idolatry, which is addressed in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and is dealt with in the scriptures even before that point. Idolatry is the worship of anyone or anything besides the true God. So if there is a worship of anyone or anything that is not the God of the Bible, the Bible defines that as idolatry. Now, I do understand that to someone from a different philosophy or point of view, that that statement would be offensive. But I'm simply giving you the biblical perspective on this. This is what the Bible says is idolatry. In fact, this is so serious that in Exodus chapter 20 in the first commandment, God said to his people before he said anything else that they should not have any other gods before him. Gods, little g, meaning there are other things, there are other people, there are other beings that could be worshipped as God, which are not God. They fall short of the measure of God, but people will find themselves worshipping these things. Some examples of idolatry that take place even in our world today and even in our culture would be pantheism. And actually, in Athens, pantheism was very common. It, was, uh, it made up a lot of the gods that they worshipped. Pantheism is simply the worship of nature. It's the idea that nature is God And all of these different uh, beings or creatures that are a part of nature ought to be worshipped. And I want to point out to you that we have a lot of pantheism in our world and in our culture here in the United States of America. There are many people who worship the creature more than they worship the creator, according to Romans chapter 1. They're just completely given over to all kinds of earth worship. And be tuned into that and aware of that. Many people are worshiping what they call Mother Earth. And all of these different aspects of that which God has made. And so pantheism is very common. Pantheism isn't just something that is from like, uh, you know, many years ago or primitive tribes worshiping nature. There's lots and lots of people today who are highly educated and would regard themselves as spiritual but not religious, who are very much caught up in the worship of nature. It is all around us. Much of uh, what is called the green movement revolves around pantheism realistically. Instead of a proper stewardship of the, the earth that God has created, it is an emphasis on the earth being worshiped. So be aware of pantheism. There's also humanism. And humanism, simply put, is the worship of man. Humanism is usually accompanied by something called atheism, or agnosticism, and atheism is simply the denial that there is a God. Agnosticism is the idea that perhaps there is a God, but he's irrelevant, and so it doesn't really matter whether we believe in him or not. But both of these go together very nicely with humanism, which is simply the worship of man. And what we find is that many people around us in our culture, and certainly in Athens, it was true that people worship themselves. They see man as the highest good. They see man as being able to achieve anything, to shoot for the stars. If, if we just have enough time and we educate people enough, then things will get better and better and better, and the world will just keep on improving. So there's humanism. Lots and lots of people in the world around us today are, uh, would classify themselves as humanists. But many who would not classify themselves as humanists are practically speaking humanists. So there's pantheism, and there's humanism, and then there's a third big one, which I believe is prevalent in our society today, and that is materialism. It's the worship of wealth, or the worship of riches and goods. And I think you would probably agree with me that much of our culture here in the United States of America is tied to materialism. Not that people take their wallet and bow down to it and offer sacrifices to it. No, it's not like that. But it is a virtual worship. It is the idea that their entire life is given over to getting more things as if the sum total of the importance of a man's life is what he accumulates by the time he dies. It is a worship of the the goods of this earth which interestingly enough is just another form of pantheism because it's a worship of things which god has made which ought to be used for his glory but instead end up being a replacement for god himself in the mind of man So there's pantheism and humanism and materialism. And all of these things were prevalent even in the city of Athens. They're prevalent still in the world today. These these philosophies are as old as the sin of man. They go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But I want you to consider, because we're talking about the tragedy of this, consider how serious... And how tragic it is for people to turn away from the living and true God and begin to worship anything else. What a tragedy that would be. We would say, that doesn't make any sense at all. Could you imagine this morning if I tried to convince you that we ought to worship this table, that this table is in fact God and that we need to bow down and give offerings and worship this table. If I began to preach a message about this this morning, I would hope that some of the men of the church would stand up and say, Pastor, we don't know what's happened to you, but you need to stop. Uh, This this ought not to be taught and preached. And, And many of you would think, he's gone crazy. I don't know what happened to him, but that's just weird. I mean, why would you worship a a table. It doesn't make any sense. So then let me ask you a question. Why would people who are rational, who are intelligent, who have experienced life, why would they begin to worship something that is less than the creator who made all that is? This is the tragedy of it. And as Paul was looking around, remember, Paul is a highly educated, very intelligent man himself. And he's looking at all of this. He's in a place that's known for its intelligence and its culture. And his heart is stirred because all he can see is idolatry. Now, just for a moment, I want you to just, in your mind's eye, leave this building and look at the culture that surrounds us. And think about the tragedy in this world of people who are worshiping many, many other things besides the God of the Bible. I'll be honest with you. It's hard for me to get excited about the Christmas season. Because I go out into the world. I go into stores. And, and in these places, it's not about Christ. Right. It's about everything but Christ. Even while in the background, the the music is coming over the speakers. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. Think, oh, I like that song. It's wonderful. Then right after that, here comes Santa Claus. (laughs) Oh, we're so mixed up. You tell me, oh, Christmas is about Christ. Not for most people. I mean, it ought to be. It ought to be about the incarnation, but that's not what it really is about for most people. It's just this mixed up bag. And I was reading a book not too long ago that was dissecting some of these issues in our culture and and really was written from a, a secular perspective, but was talking about the dynamic in our country that most people do not follow a religious system because they're too Self-sufficient for that. So the average American likes to take everything that they've learned and mix it all up and put it together and say, I've got my own thing. I've got my own system. I've got my own God. This is exactly what was happening in Athens. The reason there's so many gods is because people said, well, I don't really like the selection that's out there. There's only about 5,000, so uh, let's have 5,001. I'm going to make up my own. And that's the sense of many people that we talk to today. You ask people, you say, do you believe in the Bible? No, I don't believe in the Bible. Do you, do you go to church? Oh, no, I don't go to church. Well, do you regard yourself as spiritual? I'm very spiritual. Well, of course you are because you were created by God as a spiritual being. But most people are not interested in the truth of the Bible Because they have their own form of worship. Now, brace yourself. They are idolaters. Idolaters. Any worship that is apart from the worship of God is idolatry. So this is what he saw. But then I want you to notice what he felt. The Bible tells us in verse 16 that his response was when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, his spirit was stirred in him. Now, bear in mind that Paul at this point was supposed to be waiting for his companions so they they could leave Athens and move on to the next place of ministry. But while he was waiting, he couldn't wait any longer. He's walking around the city, and he sees people in need everywhere, and he decided, I'm here, and I have the truth. I've got to do something. Now, this is a very interesting phrase. When it says that his spirit was stirred, it literally means that he became angry. He became angry at what he saw. And I want you to consider that with me in just a moment, but I believe that when we see idolatry, when we see people given over to the wrong kind of worship, it ought to bring a response in us. Our spirit ought to be stirred. And I believe this spirit being stirred is indicative of three things. First of all, I believe it's indicative of compassion. Compassion for people who are taken captive. I want you to hold your place here in Acts chapter 17. Turn with me back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I know it's a little gray and overcast outside, but I hope you'll be able to stay with me for just a few more minutes this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice, we'll back up to verse 24, which speaks about how the servant of the Lord needs to conduct himself. It says this, 2 Timothy 2, 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil... Who are taken captive by him at his will? Now I want you to see. There's a lot in there, but I really want you to to, to focus in on verse 26, where it says that there are many individuals around us who are taken captive by the devil at his will, That's right. and they need to be recovered out of the snare of Satan and. and And I want you to understand this morning that before you met Jesus, you were in exactly the same place. And there's a need to have compassion for people who have been trapped by the lies of Satan. You know, as Paul was walking around the city of Athens and he saw people that were very devoted to the gods that they worshipped. They were, they were doing all of these things, and they really meant it, and they were sincere, and they thought that it was going to do something for them or change their life in some way. All that Paul could feel for them was compassion, because he knew that they were deceived, that they were believing something that is not true. Listen, brethren, all around us there are people... Who are believing something that is not true? They've been taken captive by Satan at his will, and they don't even realize that they've been deceived. They actually are secure in the things that they believe, and they really think that they know that those things are true. And we ought to have compassion. On these folks, Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, 36, saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Have you ever attended a secular funeral? You know what I'm talking about? This is becoming more and more common in our country where a funeral will be conducted by a person whose job is simply to share some inspirational thoughts and to perhaps uh, read a poem or something like that. But they say nothing that that would allude to the authority of the Bible or the comfort that God could give. I've attended funerals like this. And it's a sad thing because there's no hope that there's there's no. And honestly, a lot of other funerals don't give a lot of hope either because they're just following after something that is different than what God says in his word. But now understand that many people are just caught up in this type of a, of a philosophy. And we ought to have compassion. It's becoming more and more common for me to run into people, especially younger people, who have never, ever in their entire life, gone into a church building, who have never opened a Bible. They may have heard of the Bible, but they've never read the Bible for themselves. And so they are completely devoid of understanding or knowledge about what the Bible says. Now, understand that from my worldview, that's a sad thing. That stirs my spirit because there's some truth that I believe they need to know. There ought to be compassion for those who are taken captive by false religious systems. There ought to be compassion for people who are caught up in worship that is contrary to the word of God. There's all sorts of religious systems out there that are leading people astray from the truth of God. And we ought to have compassion on those people. But remember, I told you that that phrase... When it says his spirit was stirred in him, it really means that he was angry. And this is the second response that we ought to have when we see idolatry, and that is anger at the spiritual forces that are deceiving men. Now, he was not angry at the people. He was stirred, he was angered by the thought that here was a place where the truth was not known, where people were completely given over to false worship because the truth had not been made known to them, and he was angered by the principalities and powers, by these rulers of the darkness of this world, by the spiritual wickedness in high places. His spirit was stirred within him. It's such a sad thing to go to a place and to see how people are completely given over to something that you know is false, that it's not true. And yet to say something to them about it would, would be like, just like so much noise. It would be like someone coming up to me speaking in Japanese or something, and i just say, I, I don't know, I don't know what you're, you're saying, I don't understand a word of Japanese. And, you know, if you went to the average person and started talking to them about the gospel and sharing with them the truth of God, many people, to them it's just like, what are you talking about? Because it's so far off from what they believe reality is. And this is what happened. You know, when Paul began to preach, a lot of these people, they were like, wow, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Hey, come on over here. We want to hear some more about this. Hey, guys, this guy, is he's weird, man. He's got some strange beliefs. Tell him what you believe. He is a setter forth of strange gods. And that's how many people regard biblical Christianity now. Because they're so caught up with lies, with things that are not true, that to them, that is reality. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does not the average person in the world think that if you have anything resembling what the Bible describes as biblical Christianity, you are, a, you are a fanatic? You are a right-wing nut job? You are a religious wacko? You are a holy roller? You are out of your... You're in a cult! That's what they say. And yet... I mean, if you compared biblical Christianity to what the Bible says people did when they were followers of Christ, have we even gotten close to what those people did? The truth is, if we were as dedicated as the Bible talks about, we would really be out there. But understand that, see, that's because, that perspective is because they've been deceived. They've, They've been convinced That something is reality, which is not reality. I don't have time to get into this. We're going to deal with this next week. But one of the things that people think is reality, which is not reality, and and this is why they think a Bible-believing Christian is so crazy and strange, is because they really believe that this world is everything. I mean, if you want it, you got to get it now. In this life, because this is it. And when this is finished, you're just going in the ground and turning back to dust. And whatever you experienced is what you get. There's nothing more. By the way, that's the philosophy of the Epicureans, which has come down to us. They live for pleasure. Isn't that what most people are doing today? They're living for pleasure. And if you're, if you're living for God and you're saying, well, there's things that are more important than pleasure. You know, I'm thinking about eternity and I'm, I'm thinking about living with the Lord and, and being in heaven. They're like, what's wrong with you, man? You're missing out on the time to have fun. Get a life, man. You don't know what you're missing. But the truth is that they have, they have been convinced of something that is not reality, which they think is reality. And therefore, they're comparing it to what the Bible says, and they're saying, I could never live like that. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's just an example. So Paul had compassion. He saw these people. His spirit was stirred in him. He had compassion. He was angered at the spiritual forces which were at play that he knew he was going to engage in warfare against. And just to make it clear, these are not flesh and blood forces. Listen. The person that lives on your street or in your neighborhood that is caught up in false worship, don't look at them as the enemy. They've been convinced of something, and, and here they are. They need the truth. We need to have compassion on them. But we ought to see that there are lies, that, that these spiritual forces are spreading, and we are at war against these things and against these spiritual beings, So there was compassion and anger, but there's also, third of all, when his spirit was stirred in him, a motivation to do something about it. And this is going to bring us to the third thought this morning, because it says that when his spirit was stirred in him, therefore, verse 17, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Now, I'll come to that word in just a moment, but I want to talk to you about the motivation to do something about it. Too often, we observe false worship and idolatry and these competing systems of thought which attack at the very foundation of the Bible, and and we just say, what a shame. Or we sit in our circle of people who think like us, and we say, "Isn't isn't that ridiculous that people would think that way? Isn't it sad that they would live that way? And we say, amen, yeah, that's right, brother, good. I mean, what have we accomplished? We all already think that way. Let's take that conversation to the break table at work. Amen. Is that going to go across the same way? Uh, how about the, the holiday gathering of your neighbors? Is it going to be received? You know, everybody's going to be saying, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> no, no. So what do we do? Well, we bemoan what is happening. And we step back into our safe place where everybody thinks like us. And we say, I'm not going to engage this world on the playing field of ideas. Now, listen, if we have the truth and we do believe that we have the truth, don't we? So if we have the truth, can the truth not hold its own against the lies of this world? It, it, it can. It should. It should. I'm not saying that we won't encounter some hard arguments. I'm just saying that if we observe idolatry around us and we are moved with compassion and anger at those spiritual systems and the spiritual forces behind them, we ought to do something about it. We can sit here and say... So many people aren't following the Lord, and things just aren't the way they used to be. What a tragedy what's happening in our country. But when is the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When is the last time you went to somebody who was not a believer and said to them, I know something that is true that could change your life? You understand what I'm saying? Paul couldn't just look at all this and then say, well... You know, it's just me, just little old me in this big city, and no one else that I know of is a believer, so there's not much I can do about it. No, that's not what he did. You see, what he saw, what he felt, but what he did. He said, I'm going to warfare. I'm putting, on the, I'm putting on the armor. I'm going out into the marketplace, literally the marketplace. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to engage people with the truth of God. Because of what he saw and because his spirit was stirred, he disputed. Now, he started in the synagogue with the Jews. That's what he always did. That was a natural starting place. It was a great place for him to get an immediate hearing for the truth of God about Jesus Christ. Then, in that place, there were devout Greeks. These were people who were followers of Judaism. They were proselytes. And they also heard some of the things that he was saying. But then, it says in verse 17, he went into the market daily with them that met with him. In other words, he went and he found people who were flying out of a totally different airport. And he said, let's have some discussion. By the way, that word disputed means to set forth arguments. It means to convince It means to contend for the truth. The idea is that he was able to come and talk to people and say, here's what I believe and here's why I believe it. And he could lay it out for them so they could understand. So because of what he saw and because of what he felt, he did something about it. I want to ask you a very important question this morning. How many of us are passionate about lesser things but totally apathetic to sharing the gospel with the people around us. I mean, we will get riled up and debate about our particular view of politics. We'll fly flags, put bumper stickers, post things in public places so people know what we think. We will be very vocal about our favorite sports team. We'll even go into enemy territory, another stadium, wearing our team colors with pride. I am willing to take one for the team. Listen, I respect your devotion to your sports team. You know, the one that takes your money. Right? I mean, you've heard it. People say, I don't go to church. All they ever want is money. Last time I was at a ballpark, that seemed to be all they, were, they wanted too. And they wanted a lot of it. Nobody complains much about that. You see, when you're passionate about something, you see what I'm saying? When you're passionate about it, it moves you. And this is the tragedy of Christianity, is that so many of God's people are completely apathetic to the people around them who have believed a lie. If you believe the gospel and it's the only way of salvation, how can you keep it to yourself? Amen. So Paul, he goes out in the marketplace and he is engaging these people and he's disputing with them. In other words, Paul was very purposeful in his pursuit of opportunities to talk with people that were around him in this great city. He was purposeful. He engaged people in discussion. Now, it's unlikely that this approach will yield the opportunity to do what I'm doing right now. That is, to address a friendly congregation about ideas that most of us agree on and everyone sit politely and listen and occasionally add their affirmation to what has been said. This is an easy way to preach, we we call it. The Bible calls it preaching. Preaching to a hostile audience. Preaching to people who believe very differently than you believe, who are going to ask questions, who are going to say I hear what you're saying, but have you ever considered? Now, this is a different thing altogether, isn't it? In fact, it's likely you'll be interrupted. It's likely that there will be people who will disagree with you or disrespect you. And these are some of the reasons why many of us say, I'd just rather not be a part of that. I mean, as it turns out, I don't like what's happening in the culture around me, but I'm not really willing to say anything not really willing to plead with people about the truth of the gospel. Now, he saw something, he felt something, he did something. I want you to realize this. In very many cases in our lives, we have become so calloused to the idolatry that is around us that we scarcely recognize it anymore. It doesn't even register. It's not even on our radar screen. It's just a normal part of life. It's what, it's what we do. It's how we live. I mean, this is what everybody does. Listen, just deal with it. Just go through life. And as believers, instead of our spirit being stirred within us, we're kind of being carried along with the tide. And as a result, our spirit is not stirred. And as a result, we're doing Nothing. In opposition to God's clear command about what a church is supposed to be doing. I mean, it's clear. You can't get away from it. So Paul saw something. He felt something. He did something. And I want to leave you with this simple thought this morning. When is the last time that your spirit was stirred? To the point that you asked God to give you courage and boldness and you manned up and went and looked somebody eyeball to eyeball and had a spiritual discussion with them about what it means to believe the gospel. When's the last time? If you can't remember the last time, then perhaps this morning the prayer that we ought to pray is God... Stir my cold spirit. God, help me to see this world the way that you see this world. God, help me to see the idolatry around me and be stirred by that. God, help me to see things the way that you do. Maybe this morning you have been stirred and you just don't know what to do. Pastor, how do I do that? How do I have that kind of a conversation with someone? What are things that I can talk about? How do I conduct myself? It won't be comprehensive, but with the Lord's help, next Sunday morning, we're going to try to answer that question. Next, morning, next Sunday morning, if the Lord allows, I'd like to bring a message with some advice to skeptics. Because that's the kind of person that Paul was dealing with in Acts chapter 17, and there's some great points that he hits which are wonderful discussion points for us as we try to reach out to people who are skeptical of the truth of God. This morning, can we all pray together that God would stir our spirit and would give us a passion for things that really matter? Maybe even in this holiday season, God would give us some opportunities that we've not had before to speak with folks about that which is true.